In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, an author explorer describes the mysterious powers of crystal skulls. The nature of quartz crystal allows other intelligent beings who may not exist on the physical level, which can be galactic beings, can be spiritual beings, dimensional beings, nature beings. It's a portal, just like the name of this crystal skull I have. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, Go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Joshua Shapiro is standing by to discuss Crystal Skulls. How much, I wonder, of the 2008 movie Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls is true? We'll find out. Joshua will also tell us about the Mitch Hedges Crystal Skull, perhaps the world's most famous skull. 
the crystal skull in the British Museum and his search for the blue crystal skull in Peru. Before that, I have great news. My free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS devices is now available for download in the App Store. Again, my free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS devices now available for download. Just visit the App Store. This means you can stream episodes of this podcast from your iPhone or your iPad. And this is important. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, you can now stream premium episodes and premium content from your iOS device your iPhone or your iPad. Just go to the App Store, search for Conspiracy Unlimited, and the free app is right there. Now, the app for the Android devices from Google Play, that should be available very soon, and I'll let you know as soon as it is. So this is great news, particularly for the Conspiracy Unlimited Plus members who have been wanting to be able to stream episodes from their various devices. Joshua Shapiro is currently one of the foremost experts in the field of crystal skulls, and his passion for them drives him to share the crystal skull phenomenon with people all over the world. He's evolved into one of the main personalities of the crystal skull phenomenon, often providing public presentations and working with other crystal skull teachers and caretakers, as well as with his partner, Katrina Head. Joshua Illinois Shapiro is a researcher, explorer, and the author of Journeys of the Crystal Skull Explorers. Joshua Shapiro, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me, Richard. You've been at this a long time. Your first encounter with a crystal skull, I believe, goes back almost 40 years, 1983, something like that. Tell me about it. Yeah, um, well, I was um, basically, in 1983, I was kind of living my life on faith, and I just felt like I had to, you know, explore, (coughs) excuse me, spiritual and paranormal things. That was my interest. So as I was uh, traveling on faith through California, um, I had a friend who was the owner of a metaphysical bookstore in San Jose, California at that time. This was around my birthday in April of 1983. And uh, so I went there to show her my first book, um, Journeys of an Aquarian Age Networker, see if she wanted some copies. And the next thing I know while we're talking is she pulls out these pictures of a crystal skull. Now, like many people at that time, I had seen Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, where in the beginning of the episodes, he generally would show the Mitchell Hedges skull, which is the most famous crystal skull. And um, so when I saw the saw the pictures, um, I had uh, a whole sequence of uh, experiences uh, around it. Uh, first of all, there was an earthquake that happened in California while we were looking at the pictures. And then, <coughs> excuse me, I felt like a... A, uh, an inner earthquake, a very fast vibration inside of myself. And um, somehow, I, I guess your listeners who follow spiritual path, you know that sometimes you hear a voice that speaks to you, which can be a higher aspect of yourself or your soul or just some knowledge, you know. And I just heard as I'm looking at the pictures that Uh, These crystal skulls were very important for the future of humanity, and they're returning, and this was one of the crystal skulls that I guess had come out at that time, which my friend was familiar with and had seen, and I later learned she actually had the skull in her house for a few days. This was Amy, correct? The skull Amy? Yeah, or Ami. I'm not sure. 
Right. It's a um, kind of a, a, a teenage uh, human size amethyst crystal skull. So in other words, a little bit smaller than, than an adult skull, a uh, single piece. So, um, you know, all of these experiences were um, quite amazing. But when I was looking at the picture, I kind of got the feeling like now that you know that we exist and we're important for humanity, Joshua, what are you going to do about it? It was kind of like I was challenged. And then I was invited to actually see that skull a couple weeks after that. And so when I saw the skull, I was able to touch it with my right hand. I put it on the top of the skull, and I felt a vibrational frequency go up from the skull through my arm, and then it was kind of like floating over my right shoulder. And this is generally what's happened to me as I've seen different crystal skulls. In my mind's eye, I see them appear around me like in different directions. So for me, the amethyst skull is always floating over my right shoulder, whatever that means. And... Um, you know, so then I got copies of pictures of it, and when I would do my normal talks where mostly I would focus on UFOs and, you know, things to do with the Aquarian Age, then I would include, you know, hey, by the way, I saw this crystal skull, and here's a picture of it, and I think this is important for the future. So that's kind of how I got started, and, you know, I just thought it was a, a unique experience. I didn't have any clue that I would be you know, seeing more skulls, writing books about them, giving hundreds of talks, doing radio shows, even been on television. You know, I just sense from day one, I call that day one of being a crystal skull explorer, that these are important ancient artifacts, which cultures in the past have used, probably have had past life with them. I mean, these skulls don't just call to anyone. They call to I think an individual who's worked with them in other lifetimes. And uh, I just had something to do with it. And so my nature is when I feel there's something important, I collect all the information and I share it with people in every form that I possibly can. The Let's address the, uh, the debunkers' claims, if we could get those out of the way, regarding the origins of the skulls. Um, that and then, and you know they they claim they the debunkers that these are not pre-Columbian artifacts uh, that they can in fact be traced back to I think they even named the town in Germany mid 19th century uh, because the the tools that were used to carve and polish the uh, these crystalline structures weren't available until that time and and apparently in Europe in the mid 19th century there was this huge fascination with pre-Columbian artifacts and so forth. So mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you respond to the debunkers on that claim, that these are not pre-Columbian, they're not ancient, they're mid-19th century? Well, um, what I have to do with people who are kind of debunkers is I just have to let them sit with what they believe. Um, for many people who are following a spiritual path, when they see the crystal skulls, they start having visions, like this is what also happened to me. And so the, the challenge that we have with this is, is that, you know, on the one hand we could say, well, you know, not until um, the 1960s did we really have um, diamond tip tools, which is what the modern carvers use now to make a skull. Uh, beautiful skulls. No, uh, this didn't exist until the 1960s, yet some of the crystal skulls that are being discovered are so perfectly created, 
You know, it's like, how could primitive people with primitive primitive tools do that? So this is one aspect. But the, the main aspect, which again, it just depends upon where a person is coming from or if they've had any uh, personal experience with it, is there is some kind of living consciousness and energy field that surrounds crystal skulls and especially ones which we believe or which we get let's say spiritual or psychic messages from could be quite old going all the way back to Atlantis or Lemuria if they weren't gifts from the gods which means they came from the extraterrestrials there's just something about a certain group of skulls that seem to be older that just the way they were designed and everything and and also from the indigenous people themselves like the Mayans in particular which you mentioned that you know they talk about oh we got the crystal skulls as gift from the people in the Pleiades so you know this is what makes it very controversial that scientifically we do not have um, a way to prove whether a skull is being carved, you know, unless you know the carver personally or where it's coming from old. But when you deal with these frequencies of energies that are around the skulls, especially the ones that we believe to be old, there's incredible phenomena that starts happening. It could be healing or like, for example, in my case, you know, I've had visions. I've heard like intelligences talking to me from the skulls through my mind's voice, giving me all kinds of information um, and insights into things that have nothing to do with anything that's happening in the, in the modern terms. So what I hope will happen in the future is that we can get more scientists involved in using the advanced technologies they have to work with these crystal skulls to see these different levels of energy or the information maybe even that's encoded like you know some people have actually gone into meditation and they see the skull become like a video camera where it starts producing holographic images so in other words it's a combination of personal experiences and what people are seeing that's going on around the crystal skulls that leads me and other people who have had fantastic experiences with them that these are not things that you know uh, somebody could have made in modern times and uh, people are going to have experiences with this. We have worked with crystal skulls made by modern carvers and although there is some duplication of experiences that people have with them, it's not to the same level or degree or intensity like we find with the ones that we believe to be much older. So it's a, you know, it's a good question to ask and the, the naysayers will probably never be able to convince them. They may only be convinced if they decide, okay, I'm going to have my own experience with one and let's see what happens to me. Because I've seen people change as a result of that. Is it possible that, and you mentioned some of the more modern era replicas possess some sort of uh, a power? Uh, is it possible it has nothing to do or less to do with the age and the origin, pre-Columbian, modern era, and more to do with the actual crystalline structure of the skull? Yeah, yes, it is possible. See, now, I'm going to give you my theory, which I can't prove, okay? It's just based on observation and experience. So, for example, I believe quartz crystal and, of course, a lot of the crystal skulls are not made from quartz crystal, no. They're made from every gemstone that you can imagine. And some are even made from 
other types of material as well. But what, I, what I've observed is, in particular with quartz crystal, is for some reason this material acts as a transmitter and receiver for um, cosmic knowledge, different frequencies of energy and so on. And so what happens is, like we'll take an example of one of the crystal skulls I have, which is a modern one. It's called Portal de Luz, which is portal of light in Spanish or Portuguese. So this crystal skull was made by a Brazilian carver, and I've met him. Leandro is his name. And I've had a lot of very unusual experiences around it, where I've had communication from the skull, where it's talking with me, giving me advice, etc. And... Um, what I'm trying to suggest here is, is the nature of quartz crystal allows other intelligent beings who may not exist on the physical level, which can be galactic beings, can be spiritual beings, dimensional beings, nature beings. It's a portal, just like the name of, the, of this crystal skull I have. It's a portal for these beings to have a communication with us. And they seem to work through a crystal skull, regardless whether it's a modern made one or an, an ancient one, what we call an ancient one, which would be over a thousand years made, if we could have any support or proof that that indeed is the case. That comes mostly from legends of the indigenous people. So this material, for whatever means, is allowing other conscious beings to communicate. And I think that they said, okay, so if we have a piece of quartz crystal made in the shape of a human bone skull, this is going to cause people to be curious. They're going to be looking at a face. They're going to be looking at what they feel like as a person. And this gives us the opportunity to communicate and share different healing frequencies of energy through such an object, as well as have a communication and share knowledge and wisdom and so on. So what I'm saying is that the material that it is, is being used by other intelligent beings as a tool to assist humanity to awaken to our divine or our spiritual nature. And what I have seen is, I've seen there are some people who have no interest in the spiritual or the paranormal, have a contact with crystal skulls, and it totally changes their life, and all of a sudden they become interested. Or on many occasions I've actually have it, had it where people said, I don't understand why... I turned on the television and there's this program about a crystal skull. And then all of a sudden, where I had no interest before, now I have to find out about it. Now I have to get my own one. So I definitely agree with you. There's something about this material with quartz and probably with some of the other gemstones as well, which gives the possibility of other intelligences to have contact and work with us. And as a result of that, this becomes a sacred tool. And the message that Ami gave me in the beginning was that we're returning to help humanity to create world peace. So regardless of what crazy things are happening on the planet, I know for a fact within myself, and this is a message I keep hearing over and over again, by 2037 to 2040, our entire planet's going to be totally changed. And I'm sure the crystal skulls are going to have something to do with this, with the energy that they hold. And we're going to see total peace and contact with all kinds of other beings, whether they're galactic or dimensional. And I can't, if I try to argue with myself about this vision or this idea, I can't do it. It's all I can see. So 
I just assume that, you know, this is where we're going and I'm just one of the many people who's going to talk about this and apparently the crystal skulls have a role to play to create this. But how we get from where we are now, where we have a lot of crazy things going on, to a time of total peace and harmony, I have no clue. And um, tell me about the the perhaps the most famous crystal skull. Well, people talk about the one in the British Museum. We'll talk about that one in a moment. But the, the Mitchell Hedges skull, uh, which uh, at, at one time at least was up, uh, the caretaker had this skull up in my neck of the woods, up in Toronto. Tell me about the Mitchell Hedges skull. Let's talk first about, a f- give me the physical description, and then maybe we can talk about its its powers and its origins. Okay, so physically, it's basically uh, similar in size and shape to a human bone skull. It has some differences to it. Um, it's made from totally clear quartz, but there, it's it's not rutilated, but it, it has strands and fibers inside of it. But because it's clear quartz, you can see inside of it. It has a movable jaw, separate jaw. However, um, and this is my personal feeling, although I wouldn't say this to the guardian because I wouldn't want to insult him. The jaw doesn't, the two pieces, the upper jaw and the lower jaw, there's a slight gap between them. And there has been a suggestion that the lower jaw may not necessarily be the jaw that goes with that skull. However, when the two pieces are separate, and I'm sensitive to energy, so that's why I'm going to say this, is I feel a total difference in the energy of the skull when it's just the top part or it's with both of them together. Um, what else can I say about it? I was just going to say that most crystal skulls are, are not separate, right? In other words, there's no separate lower jawbone. Is that, is that fair? Uh, a lot of them that have been found are single-piece skulls. The modern carvers, especially the Chinese carvers we've worked with, because we have one of their skulls um, called Skullis, they're making crystal skulls with removable lower jaws based on the physical dimensions of the Mitchell Hedges skull. So we have one made out of rose quartz, which we called Rosalita. But for the most part, the ones that have been found, let's say, in the ground or in uh, ancient cities or whatever they seem to be single piece skulls however the co-author of my first book fr nick nasarino who has uh, passed away uh, several years ago he, he claims that when he was traveling i believe it was through france he saw another skull that have a, had a movable jaw so i suspect that of the older skulls there are other ones not just the mitchell hedges skull i have a vision that there could be a set of 12 or 13 like that or there could be multiple sets like that. <coughs> but I can't, um, you know, again, prove it. It's just this vision that follows me around. Um, now, as far as the, the background and the history, uh, so it's named after F.A. Mitchell Hedges, who is a explorer, semi-archaeologist in the early 1920s. He decided to go to what we what is now called Belize, then was British Honduras, to look for evidence of lost Atlantis. And he came across a Mayan city, which is known as uh, Lubantum, City of Fallen Stones, because they think there was an earthquake that destroyed this city. And, <coughs> excuse me, British government, um, because they were in charge of this colony at that time, gave him permission to excavate and also there was some agreement with the American 
Indian Museum in New York that things he found would go on display there. So I think it still exists that artifacts which he found are still on display in that in that museum. So they uncovered this uh, Mayan city. They had to burn the vegetation. And then the story goes that uh, his adopted daughter, Anna Mitchell Hedges, was there with him. And she claims on her 17th birthday, January 1st, 1924, she decides she wants to climb up uh, one of the uh, ancient pyramids there uh, to see the vista around this uh, particular site. On her way down, she sees something reflecting sunlight within the pyramid. So she goes and tells her father that there's something magical there. He said, it's probably a piece of glass. She keeps insisting to get the local mine people to help them lift the heavy stones to go inside the pyramid where they see the light being reflected and they lower her inside because she's a skinny teenager. Um, and she comes out with her uh, sweater with the top part of the crystal skull uh, in there. When she brings this out, the local mine natives go crazy because they've had legends of this sacred object. And as a matter of fact, um, indigenous people and how they heard about this, since they didn't have modern communication at that time, come from everywhere. And then about six weeks later in an altar area, they find the lower jaw. Mitchell Hedges doesn't have the heart to keep the sacred artifact from the mind, so he gives it to them, or gives it back to them, actually. And then when the expedition ends in 1927, the head mind priest presents the crystal skull as a gift to Mitchell Hedges for the expedition, bringing food, medical supplies, clothing to their people. So from 1927, the Mitchell Hedges uh, family has this crystal skull, but a Mr. Bernie in the 1930s starts showing up with it and is trying to sell the skull. And actually, in I think in the early 40s, um, Boothby's, which is um, you know one of these places that sells ancient artifacts, <clears throat> puts it up for sale and Mitchell Hedges quickly gets money together and buys it. Anna Mitchell Hedges says that um, well, how did Bern- it, How did it get from the Hedges family to, to Bernie? Uh, well, According to Anna Mitchell Hedges, her father wanted to do another expedition and needed money. So he made an agreement with Mr. Bernie that he would give him the crystal skull to hold as collateral. And then when he could repay it, he would buy it back. And Mr. Bernie said, okay, I will not sell it. But his son decided to sell it. So this is the way, according to the Mitchell Hedges family. Ah, so then they, the, the Hedges family reacquired it at auction then in the 40s. Right. Uh, and this is their story. Now, some people say, no, Mr. Bernie always had the skull. And the story told by Anna Mitchell Hedges and their father finding it in the pyramid in the Mayan ruins isn't correct. For me, you know, we can get caught up in the history of where something comes from. But what is more important is what does that crystal skull do with to the people who have the opportunity to see it? And Bill Holman, who is the current guardian, he was uh, very good friends with Anna Mitchell Hedges at the end of her life, and he supported and helped her. So he inherited the skull. He continues to give people the opportunity to see it, to have their own experience. And there are so many people who have totally amazing experiences, including myself, who've been in the presence of that one. Is it still so, up here in Toronto? No. So uh, what happened is 
Eventually, Miss Mitchell Hedges moved to Indiana to live with Mr. Holman until she passed away. So Mr. Holman is based out of uh, Indiana, but he does a lot of traveling with this girl, and he's invited to, to go to many places. Of course, with traveling being curtailed now because of what's happening in the world, I don't think he's doing as much of that. But prior to all of that, you know, he was taking it uh, pretty much everywhere. We actually worked with him in, I think it was 2016. We brought him to Seattle when we were living there. And, you know, we just toured all the way up to the northern part of Washington to Seattle. So we had about 150 or 200 people who came to see the skull for those events. Why Why does Toronto stick out in my mind? Why am I thinking it was here for a while? Because uh, Anna Mitchell Hedges lived in Toronto for a period of time. Ah, okay. But she, but she moved. I, I, she went to England first because she had family in England through her father. I think she may have moved was either, I think was the late 1990s. But she was in a, a suburb of Toronto with this girl, and I visited her, her home one time when I had to take some training for one of the computer jobs I had in Chicago. And, and what was your personal experience in the presence of the crystal skull? Well, I'm going to tell you the most powerful experience I've had, uh, which happened in Bill Holman's home. Uh, this was when the Indiana Jones film came out. The Sci-Fi Channel actually hired me as a consultant for their two-hour documentary. And they did interview me in his home with uh, the Mitchell Hedges go. So what happened is after we did this testing at a high school with um, – a Carillion type of camera to see the energy of the skull and actually the interview I had in his home about two weeks later I asked him if I could come back and have a private session with the skull so he said okay so what happened was is apparently Anna Mitchell Hedges had acquired some table from uh, a mirror and a table from Marie Antoinette uh, when she was in Europe I guess so Mr. Holman still had some of these uh, pieces of furniture from Anna Mitchell Hedges in, in his home. And he had on this wooden table the Mitchell Hedges skull sitting on a, a lazy Susan. So he puts it on the lazy Susan so, you know, you can turn the skull around and you can look at different features of it. So this is what I did when I was in the present. So I had three of my personal crystal skulls with me. And I was allowed to place them around the Mitchell Hedges skull, which is what he does at you know, the public events. He lets people put their personal crystal skulls or their uh, pieces of quartz so they can be energized by the skull. So um, I had Portal de Luz with me, and I started with Portal de Luz's face facing the Mitchell Hedges skull. And then I put the two smaller skulls that I had. One was rose quartz and one was uh, smoky quartz like Portal de Luz's smoky quartz. So they formed a triangle around the skull. Then I sat in kind of a meditative pose on the floor of the room in front of the table. It was a low-level table, so I could look at the Mitchell Hedges skull. And the most powerful meditations I ever have with any skulls is when I'm listening to my favorite music. So I had my MP3 player with me, so I could flip through. Because for me, when you're in the presence of this, this crystal skull, which is a high energy, you're going into an altered state. So it would be like I knew which songs I needed to listen to immediately. 
You know, I'd flip, no, 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 yes. And then I would hear, okay, stop, go to the next one. So first thing I experienced while I was doing this meditation was I felt like I was at total peace. Like if I could experience what heaven was like in that moment of time during the meditation, I was experiencing what heaven might feel like. You know, total peace, didn't matter what's going on in my life. I could just like totally focus on being there and I was at peace. And if if I didn't have to leave and stop the meditation and I'm an Aries, Aries gets bored very easily. I have to do a lot of different things to keep myself busy and be excited about life. But in this case, I could have sat there for a very, very long time and would have been totally content. That's how peaceful it was. Now, the second part of my meditation, I will tell you straight off, I do not fully understand what happened to me. I can describe it. I can give you some possible theories, but I'm not totally sure, even to this day. And I did this meditation, what, the Indiana Jones film came out in 2008. So we're talking about like 12 years ago. Okay. And I still remember this. Etc. So what happened is I started to pick up that there was a presence in the room with me. It was so this the skull was at my level, but it was off to my right, high up in the air, like behind the skull in the room. There was a presence. That's all I can decide. It wasn't like like I'm talking to you and you're a single person. It was like a group consciousness, if that means anything. Okay. And Whatever this consciousness was, it knew everything there was about who I was, who I am, you know, what I've done, and things I don't know, like things connected to my spirit or my soul, which I do not have access to consciously. And um, it, it changed me somehow because after I finished this experience, it would be like, there's very little that bothers me or gets me upset. It like helped to balance my frequency or my energy. But what was this consciousness? I don't exactly know. Was it my higher self? Was it uh, galactic beings, dimensional beings? Uh, was it because the Mitchell Hedges skull has such a high frequency of energy, it opened up a dimensional door, which is what I think does happen? So I'm not totally sure who was there, but I know that I forever became changed and it helped me to stay in the neutral. When you say it, it knew things about you that you didn't know, how did it communicate that to you and what did it communicate to you? Well, everything that I'm telling you, of course, is nonverbal. So it's, it's telepathic. And it didn't really communicate that to me. It was a sensing I had. It was like when I, and even when I think about this energy now, when I link into it, it's just a knowingness that I have. It's like, you know, people who have a, um, what we call a temporary death or, you know, uh, where they die and they come back and they say they meet God or they meet this light and they just know things. It was kind of like that. It was whatever kind of connection or communication I was having, there were just aspects about it, which I just understood or I knew. So that's the only way I can explain it. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't really talking to me. It was more like it was present. I was aware it was present. I was aware of the essence of who this was. And then afterwards, I just noticed that I changed. You know, like I said, I became more in the neutral, more peaceful. So I think that 
what what the reason why I had to to sit with the Mitchell Hedges skull was that um, part of probably my mission that I'm here to do on the planet or who I needed to become or something like that, I had to go through this experience. Otherwise, I couldn't do what I agreed to do before I was born. And it had something to do with crystal skulls also. Um, And uh, that was the most powerful experience I ever had around the the Mitchell Hedges skull. I mean, there's other things that, uh, that have happened to me, but but that really changed me. And like I said, when I think about the Mitchell Hedges skull, it's in front of me. The essence of it is in front of me. I'm talking to it, even though it's physically not present with me. Right. Yeah. And and did it activate your the personal skulls that you have, the, uh, the portal of light skull that you have and took and placed beside it? Did it change forever that skull and the other skulls? Yes, I believe so, because when I would look at Portal de Luz after that experience, uh, there were strange things happening inside of him I had never seen before. And in in effect, this is part of the reason why people who do have the new skulls will go to see one that we believe to be a very old one and put them in the presence. So there will be a transference of frequencies and energies and information. The other reason... For doing that is because Bill Holman is only one person, only so many people can see that crystal skull. But what if we have a hundred or a thousand crystal skulls that are in the presence of the Mitchell Hedges skull? Each of those is going to carry an aspect or an essence of it that can be shared with a lot more people. So this is one of the things the skulls have communicated with me telepathically, is that they talk to each other and they share energy and knowledge and information with each other. So that's like saying they're alive. To me, they're alive. Tell me about the skull in the British Museum. Okay, so the British crystal skull um, comes out of um, Mexico in the 1860s. Um, there's uh, what, what is believed to happen with that one is the peasants, who are very poor in Mexico at that time, they're stealing ancient artifacts from all these sacred sites, all the ancient Mayan Aztec sites, the Mesoamerican sites. And so um, a soldier of fortune meets with one of these peasants who probably, you know, doesn't realize what this is and probably he thinks, you know, this is something remarkable. And so he gets this crystal skull and then there's an antiquities dealer in, uh, named Boban, a Frenchman who's at this time Mexico somehow is being ruled by the French. Uh, The emperor is French or something. So he gets access to the skull. And then in the late 1880s, early 1890s, he starts to try to sell it to make some money. Um, What I recall is um, Mr. Sisler in New York has it for a period of time. He, He apparently buys it from Boban. And then eventually Tiffany's gets the crystal skull. And then the British Museum buys it from Tiffany's in 1898. And they have it on display in 1899. So it kind of passes through a, a number of people. Now, uh, the appearance of the skull is to some degree similar to the Mitchell Hedges skull. Back in the 1930s, the Royal British, 
British Anthropological Society has access to both of those skulls and kind of does a comparison and sees some similarity. And they can't decide is was the British Museum skull created, which is a single piece first, and they didn't do a good job, and then they created the Mitchell Hedges skull and mastered it. Or was the Mitchell Hedges skull created long ago and they lost the technology and this was the best that they could do to recreate this skull? You know, these um, Mayan people that had it. So um, I've seen that crystal skull as well. I actually have had an opportunity to touch it. The energies between the Mitchell Hedges skull and the British are totally different. To me, the British skull has picked up a lot of man's inhumanity to man. It needs to be cleaned and cleansed. And, of course, the British Museum doesn't believe in anything to do with the paranormal. Um, so it would be very difficult to do that. And they totally disrespect the British skull where it is placed, if it's still in that same location when I last saw it, which was, I think, in 2009. I think I was there the last time. They put it in a corner of the museum that had a terrible energy, terrible lighting, um, and they just and the sign that was behind the skull. They were saying what you had said in initially about you know the carvers in Eder Oberstein in Germany probably made this skull. It was modern. They found some tool marks on there, so they thought that you know it was a modern skull that it didn't come from the Mayans or the Aztecs. Um, so. But that's basically the history. It's almost the same size as the Mitchell Hedges skull. I think it's a little bit smaller, uh, single piece, but it's not as elaborate. You know, it's more primitive right. in its design. What do, you, what do you suppose would happen if you were to place the Mitchell Hedges skull in the same room as the British Museum skull? I would, suspo I would suspect that both skulls would... Uh, bring a very high frequency of energy into that room that would touch every person in the room. Um, and I would suspect that the Mitchell Hedges skull would do a healing on the British skull as well, because the Mitchell Hedges skull, to me, whatever this intelligence is that works through it, is a very high intelligence that uh, protects it. So, you know, if somebody tries to misuse the skull or something like that, or use it for... Um, not such a nice purpose, the energy in that skull will totally stop it. The British skull, for me, doesn't have that level of energy. That's why I think it's a newer made skull and probably was trying to duplicate the Mitchell Hedges skull, perhaps, or was its protection. Like, it was a copy, and they would use the copy in ceremony so the original would never be damaged. I'm trying to remember the Indiana Jones movie from 2008, and there is a scene that I recall... Uh, where basically this chamber filled with these uh, these skulls, these crystal mm -hmm. skulls, uh, is is there some sort of prophecy that that Mayan prophecy that, that talks about a gathering of all of these skulls? Are are there certain skulls that are eventually are meant to be brought together at at one place at the same time? Yes, exactly. This is a prophecy, a Mayan prophecy that has come through. Except the Mayans um, talk about 50, uh, 52 skulls, which could be four sets of 13, that different cultures have. So, like, they may have a set of 13, and I don't know. I'm not sure if the Inca, because I went to Peru looking for a crystal skull, I think that... Um, in Lemuria, they had crystal skulls, so they may have been passed to the Inca. 
um, you know, different cultures like that could have them. But many people feel drawn to this kind of prophecy. We think it's a set of 13, a master skull surrounded by 12. Now, 1 and 12 comes up a lot in many different religions that we have, like in Judaism, which I was brought up. You have the, the religious priests, and I'm sorry, at 65, I'm starting to forget some of my, my terminology and names. I forget what they call the, the priest and then the 12 tribes of Israel. Christianity talks about the Christ and the 12 apostles. There are some other religions, too, that have this 1 in 12 effect. So some people feel like there's a, a main skull that's connected with 12 others. Some people... Like, for example, on the Sci-Fi Channel, they tried to say, okay, so we have this theory of 13, uh, 13 uh, original skulls. That's what they called them. Uh, so Mitchell Hedges, a me, must be one, the British skull. But from the intelligence that, that I receive, or soul wisdom, I don't believe that any of these so-called original skulls have actually come out yet because I think their frequency of energy is too high. Instead of people being healed and activated with their spiritual gifts it could actually harm them because the vibrational frequency would be beyond what they could what they could handle so some people think perhaps the mitchell hedges skull could be a copy or a duplicate of that original set which people talk about might have been in atlantis but other than the legends or the information people receive let's say spiritually as they remember past lives working with the skulls you know, again, we don't have any specific proof of it, but I can tell you that when you start to bring a group of crystal skulls together, the the combination of their frequency and energy, it really can enhance and, and change people. And so many of the crystal skull guardians, as we call them, the people who have skulls, we feel this inner inspiration in certain moments that... You know, we need to come together and bring the crystal skulls, whether they're ancient skulls or new skulls or old skulls or apported skulls, which we haven't even talked about, whether whatever these crystal skulls to bring them together for a higher purpose that could help humanity and bring a positive energy to the planet. Another thing I have heard, which I have not really participated in myself, but I know people who have, is some of the ancient uh, sites, like Mayan sites, a group of people would go to and do ceremony with crystal skulls and it would seem to reactivate them. So there seems to be some connection with pyramids and crystal skulls. Maybe we will find, like in the Great Pyramid, some people think this, that if we ever get into the chambers, and I guess the Great Pyramid goes quite a bit under the ground as well. Some people think there's an inverted pyramid underneath there, that in those chambers we may actually find that the Egyptians or Atlanteans actually had crystal skulls, which they buried there to be stored safely for, the, for a future time of humanity. More of my conversation with Joshua Shapiro when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. There's never been a more important time to focus on our physical well-being, build up our natural immune system, and take control of our health. That's why the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo 
every morning. ESS-60 is the consumable form of carbon-60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of ESS-60 on the market. They produce the formula of ESS-60 that was used in a landmark animal longevity study in Paris, where rats that were fed ESS-60 lived twice their natural lifespans, twice. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. It's truly a mega antioxidant. How does it make me feel? Well, I'm 56 years old and I'm pain-free, pain-free. My energy levels are through the roof and I sleep like a baby. The mighty Aphrodite is noticing the exact same benefits. ESS-60 delivers better health, mental clarity, and immune support. Experience the benefits for yourself. To order, go to the notes for this episode and click on the C60 Evo link. Save 5% on your order by entering the code RS1SPEC. RS1SPEC. And if you order based on a monthly refill, you'll save even more. Get your bottle of this miracle molecule ESS60 today from C60 Evo and again, Go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the C60 Evo link. Then enter the code RS1SPEC to start saving. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, Here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Crystal Skulls researcher, explorer Joshua Shapiro is here. Joshua, earlier you mentioned Peru. You were called to Peru uh, in search of the blue skull. Tell yes. me, tell me about the blue skull. Okay, so if your listeners don't already think I'm crazy, they're going to think I'm crazy about this, or, <laughs> or maybe not. Um, so anyway, uh, I was drawn when I was living in California, so it would be in the '80s and early '90s, to go visit Peru. You know, I'd heard a lot about it, and I think in 1989, I met a friend in California who had a tour agency. So um, I thought, okay, before I move to Las Vegas, I want to I want to really visit Peru. I want to experience it. See, for me, I have to experience things. I have to have my own experience. I can't just read about it or look at pictures. I have to go there. So something about Peru called me. So anyway, I went and I made all kinds of contacts and so forth. But it wasn't during that trip. It was during a trip with my uh, ex-wife, who is a Brazilian, that she brought a group to to Peru. It was during that time that uh, I had a strange experience that um, I had a vision that a crystal skull could exist in Peru. So here's what happened. So first of all, she invited this man who was an archaeologist, a a Peruvian archaeologist that I had met before. And this archaeologist claimed, but I could never uh, find this, that one of the local museums in Lima actually had crystal skulls on display. So after we finished our 
um, trip, I tried to go to the museums, but we couldn't find it. But anyway, we're getting ready to go from Lima to Cusco to fly on the plane. And this archaeologist, for no reason at all, gets up, speaks in Spanish. So I had to wait for the translation because my Spanish isn't that good. And points at me and says, Joshua knows where there's a crystal skull in Peru. So I think, you know, what's he talking about? Uh, as far as I know, there are no crystal skulls in Peru. But then I had a vision. And first, I feel my body pulled to the northern part of Peru, which people generally don't go to, and they don't know that much about it. And there are pre-Inca cultures that they have found uh, ruins of up in that area. Um, and the next thing is I have this vision of a uh, group of Indian-looking people, and there are Indian-looking people who live in the northern part of Peru, in a single-line procession going through the jungle with like a shaman or priest in the front, his arms are extended and he's holding an object. And I know that he's holding a crystal skull. So I think to myself, well, if I know of a crystal skull in Peru, it would be funny if it happens to be my favorite color, which is sky blue, which is this kind of white, whitish, bluish color. And um, so that that's the vision, but the vision never leaves me. And I start feeling this mad compulsion that I have to go to Peru to find this crystal skull. And so about seven years later, eventually opportunity presents itself where I quit my job and I have to go. And I had to quit my job because I didn't know how long I would have to stay in Peru. Plus the fact I didn't know exactly where I would be going. Because all I knew it was like the northern part of Peru. The only clue that I had where I might be going is I was working with a friend who had just seen a crystal skull called Max, which is another one people believe is quite ancient and quite large that came out of um, Mexico, I believe. And um, we're looking at a map of Peru. And my hand is magnetically pulled to a specific spot on the map in the northern part. I have no idea what this is or anything. So basically, the tr first trip to go to Peru, I work with my friend at the tour agency. I say, where do you think a crystal skull might be? And he tells me different ancient sites to go visit up north. So, you know, we're going and we're visiting this one and that one. And we're talking to the people who work at the sites and we're talking to archaeologists. Have you ever heard of a crystal skull? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. But eventually we come to Sipan, which is the Mochica people, again, pre-Inca, and I sit with the uh, main archaeologist, and I'm showing him where my hand is pulled, and he says, yeah, you're, you're, you need to go to the city Huancabamba, which is high up in the Andes Mountains. That's where your hand is, is taking you. So he explains to me what I have to do, so I take a bus, go to um, Pura, I think, no, uh, I can't remember the names of the cities, but this city up north where you take a bus high up into the Andes Mountains and it'll take you to Huancabamba. So um, I have to get another guide to go with me. And um, so he meets me in the city where you catch the bus. Let me just uh, stop you there because I had a niece that traveled to Peru on a bus up into the Andes. Those are treacherous. I mean, those are hairpin turns. Were you ever? Were you nervous traveling in the Andes on a bus? Well, let's put it this way: it's a single lane 
going up those mountains. And it's basically wide enough for one bus. And when you look on the side, you're, you, when you get to the top, you're like 12 to 14,000 feet high. So yes, it's, uh, but you know, it's like anything else. You go to these places like the local people who live at this elevation, they're not bothered. They don't get out of breath when they're walking up high in the mountains. You know, they're walking normally. They're used to it. So the bus drivers apparently um, are used to driving. They're not afraid or anything. But yes, that's what happened is you had a single lane going up into the mountains. So eventually we get there. And the people in the city where I caught the bus, they knew the main shaman of Wankabamba. Now, for me, the indigenous people, especially the Mayans and the Aztec, and I think some of the other indigenous people too, although we may not know about them, they have a connection to crystal skulls or spiritual things. So if I'm trying to find a crystal skull, who's going to be the best person I could speak to that could help me? It would be a shaman. So I get the name of the main shaman of Wankabamba. And so we, so actually when we arrive, we get a cab and we go visit him. And we say, is it possible to speak to you? He says, come back in the morning and I'll be happy, to, you know, to talk to you. And, you know, I say, well, we want to learn about your culture and your ceremonies and, and everything. So we come back and that's what we talk about in the beginning. He explains, you know, how they go to this sacred lagoon where they do ceremonies, healing people, etc. And, you know, they're very much in touch with nature and they use the plants for healing and everything. So after he gets done talking about this, then he said, he asked me, you know, which places have you enjoyed going to Peru? So I told him about another place, which I can't remember the name, um, that's between... Um, Cusco and Machu Picchu. Again, it's an ancient city high up in the Andes Mountains. Stone city is very remarkable. And But then I have all these pictures, you know, like Mitchell Hedges and Ami and the British Museum's go. So I take them out and I show them. Now, this is my moment. I've quit my job. I've risked everything to come here, not knowing what's going to happen to me. And I believe that this is the man who has the answer to help me to find this blue skull that I'm having visions of. Which, by the way, the way I see the blue skull, it's very similar to the Mitchell Hedges skull. Uh, in shape and size, has a movable jaw, except it's totally sky blue, this light blue, transparent. And, of course, the shaman tells me, I'm sorry, we don't know anything about this. So... I was kind of like in shock. I didn't know what I needed to do next. Then the shaman's grandson says, you know, my grandfather's going to a sacred lagoon tomorrow. And if you want to watch how they do the ceremony, why don't you come with us? And I think, well, I have nothing else to do. So I might as well go. You know, I'm here. I might as well learn what I can and see what this sacred lagoon is all about. And so after we decide to do that, we go back into the main city and we start talking to people about this Laguna Negra, the black lagoon that they're going to be taking to people. And people are telling, oh, we've seen UFOs there. We've seen a person walking on water there. In other words, amazing things happen around this sacred lagoon. So I figure, okay, this is going to be an exciting adventure. So we get to the place where we're supposed to meet the shaman 
and they have hired a car and the shaman's not there and no one's there and the only thing that's there is the car and the and the people own the car say if you would pay us the money that we were going to receive from all these people going we'll take you there and you know i just i couldn't do that so we just I looked at my guide and I said, we might as well go. We have nothing else to do. You know, life has presented this to us. We don't need the shaman. Let's just go and see what this sacred lagoon is about. So we find a bus and it's the typical Peruvian bus where you have people wearing the colorful clothes and chickens under your seat and, you know, very primitive. And the bus breaks down on the way there. So some local people help us. The radiator needed water. And then eventually we, we get to a city that's below where the lagoon is, you know, because it's high up in the mountains. And they um, are able to help us get horses because there's no way I could climb uh, at that elevation. And we get guides and we just, we go there. And what I discover is that I must have had a past life riding horses because after I was shown what to do for a little while, I'm riding the horse myself, and I've never done that before. So I think it comes from my Civil War lifetime where I was uh, in the Army or something. But anyway, we eventually get to the, the lagoon, and um, I'm looking at – so what's there is you have this lagoon, and behind it is like the peak of a mountain. So I'm looking into the mountain when we get there, and I see a skull face. And I, then I realize this is what spirit or whoever's guiding me on this crazy trip, this is where they wanted me to come. And I need to have like two or three days there. In other, in other words, uh, you, you're seeing the what the outline of a skull in the rock face? Yes. The pattern of a skull in the rock face? Okay. Yes. So, okay. Yes. So, so you're I, in the right place. Then what yes. happens? Okay. So then we didn't have any camping gear. And this was about a seven or eight hour trip going from... Uh, Wonkabamba to the top part of the mountain. So I didn't care. I was so excited that finally, I think I know where this blue skull is, that we went all the way back down to the city. We got our supplies. And then the person who drove us, we made an agreement with him. He would take us back. And uh, so we came back. We didn't go all the way up to the lagoon when we came back. We stayed with a, a local family who we befriended. And they let us sleep in their little tiny house. And while I took, first I took a nap, then I went to sleep. So while I'm taking a nap and I'm in their kitchen in my sleeping bag, again, you know, this is what I saw. This this was like, you know, a vision, but I was there. I see a hole open up in the, in the air above me while I'm, you know, in my sleeping bag. And out comes the blue skull. It just kind of like flies out. And then I notice... There's like a guardian, a very tall man who doesn't say anything that's also there, kind of like the guide or protector of the skull. And, you know, I see this, you know, electric white blue color and I, I just get excited and I feel like, you know, here's my confirmation. I'm in the right place because here's the skull appearing to me. You know, it's not physically there, but I'm seeing it. And then it came back again the second time in the morning. So I just assumed, okay, this is it. I'm in the right place. I'm going to see the skull. It's somehow it's going to come back with me. I'm going to start working together. So 
we get everything together the next morning. We go up to the mountain. We find a place near the Laguna to camp. Um, I try to climb the mountain to reach the skull face the first day I'm there, and I can't reach it from the direction I'm going. There's too much vegetation that stops me. In the evening, we do a meditation. I, I have two guides now. I have a local guide plus you know, the guy that I had starting in the city, who's my translator. So we do um, a fire, and uh, I play music through a, a cassette player with speakers, and we do meditation. I'm playing, like, sacred music from indigenous people. I turn, put the pictures of the skulls out in the center of the fire. And what happens to me in the evening is a strange mist comes and covers us, and then it disappears. And then I happen to see a cloud, well, three clouds, but one cloud that either looks like a bird, a phoenix, a UFO. And I see a lot of lights that are speaking to me in the sky, um, which I call UFO lights. They'll dance. If you feel the energy, you're called to look at it, they'll kind of move in the sky by themselves. So I felt like there was a lot of presences around us that knew we were there during that evening. So then uh, the next day, the local guide shows me another way to go up into the mountain, and I'm able to get very close to where the skull face is. But the problem is, is when I get there, I feel no energy whatsoever. I feel nothing. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I had these visions, but nothing's happening here. I'm, I'm not seeing this skull. I don't know what's going on. And so I become a little bit depressed, and then I'm kind of like, okay, well, the next day I have to go back. I'm kind of ready to go. So um, wait a minute, you were I, ready? You were ready to give up and and head home? Yeah, because nothing was happening at this point. Right. But I but I couldn't do it because I had to wait until the other guy came back with the horses because he had taken the horses, you know, wherever they live. So. Two things happened to me before I went to sleep that night that changed my whole um, idea. So the first thing was, as we were coming down from the mountain, we met these children who told us about a, a local shaman who had passed away, but he was talking about a city inside of that mountain, that there was a city inside of the mountain which I had some feeling about that, but this was kind of like, it came out, out of nowhere. And then while we were resting at our camp, watching other people go to the lake and do ceremony, getting rid of dark, evil energy, um, I all of a sudden have this impulse because I noticed coming into the area, there was kind of like what looked like a door in, on another mountain on the on my side as I'm walking up to this mountain. There were like mountains on the side as you're coming up into this valley area. And I just feel this mad compulsion. I have to walk and try to go towards that stone door. So at first my guide starts going with me. But the voice says, he's not coming with you. You must do this by yourself. Then he sees people near our, our camping area. So he says, I'll stay and protect. You go do what you got to do. So I just start walking like a mindless robot. And I remember on my cassette player, I'm listening to some kind of Irish music. And then all of a sudden, the music stops. 
it's like the battery dies and it's a new battery so i don't understand what's going on but the reason that happened is it either was i needed to sit down in that area or the area i was entering had a very high frequency of energy and it just drained the battery so i look around me and i notice like a little path going up and i come to an area where there's a circle of stones so i just feel like okay so i'm just going to stop here and sit kind of meditate see what happens and then <clears throat> all of a sudden i start getting all these visions and i get a scenario about the places that i've been traveling to and what might be going on so um what happens is in the stone area first i see there was a temple that existed here now what does that mean how could a temple exist there well one of the things that some people believe is they believe the area of Peru that I'm in used to be part of Lemuria. And that what happened was when Lemuria sank, the Andes Mountains rose. And what I didn't tell you is I noticed on the way going up to this lagoon, there was like a series of boulders that we passed that had nothing to do with the ground that was underneath them. This was my feeling. It was like it was from a building maybe that existed a long time ago. Hmm. And this is all that's left are these huge boulders. So now while I'm sitting in this stone circle, I see a uh, Lemurian temple, a circular room. In the circular room, I think it was... In your mind's eye, you mean. You're not physically seeing it. You're, You're seeing it in your mind's eye. Okay. Right, but in this place I'm in, this room existed in the past. Okay. okay. And in the circular room, I'm seeing myself sitting in there. And on the wall in glass cases are crystal skulls, including the blue one. Uh-huh. Okay, so this is my vision. So then what I'm hearing is that I, I lived during that period of time. I had a connection with the blue skull. But then what happens is when Lemuria sinks, of course, the um, a temple is destroyed. But somehow the Lemurians take these skulls to Atlantis. Okay. And then eventually they bring them back to Peru. So this is my sensing. So then this uh, uh, city of Sipan, I also feel... The Lord of Sipan, which is a specific ruler who was very revered, okay? He was like a god, this people. And this is what I'm told, that I had a lifetime. I was married to one of his daughters. And these strange tall people came and gifted to the Lord of Sipan the blue skull. And he had it for a certain period of time. And he was told, after a period of time, and you'll know when, you have to take it back and you have to bring it to us. Because these are the tall beings that live in the city in the mountain. Okay. So this is what's coming to me. So I don't know if it's correct or not. I have this tremendous headache, but I have to write this down. I have to write this down. I'm in an altered state, and I'm just writing all this down. So the Lord of Sipan gives to me to bring the blue skull back to these people. And I come to this mountain, to this place. I see the skull shape, and I know I'm supposed to leave the skull on the mountain. So this is the story 
that comes to me. So the blue skull's in Lemuria, goes to Atlantis. Right, right. It comes to this area where these people are inside who I think are descendants of Lemuria. You know, there's a lot of people, maybe you've had somebody tell you this in your interviews, that there's a Lemurian city that exists under Mount Shasta. Very recently we talked about that, yes. Okay, so I think there's a similar city that exists in this mountain area that I was in Peru of Lemurian descendants who are, you know, tall. Okay. Now, now to verify this thing about Mount Shasta, just one point, there's a couple of times where I've been to Mount Shasta where I've had a feeling of a brother that lives inside of that city. You know, like he, he's very happy to see me, he recognizes me on a soul level. And the first time I ever went to Mount Shasta, I I didn't have enough money for a hotel room, so I was going to sleep outside in front of the mountain, and I literally passed out. Something took me out of my body, and I think I was brought in, into that city inside. And then I came back. I didn't remember anything except the funny taste in my mouth. So there seems to be some connection with Mount Shasta and this Lemurian city that I'm sensing in the mountain in Peru. Uh by the Laguna Negra, the blue. And there's no name I ever get for this mountain, this peak that I see. So so that's the story that comes to me. So that makes me happy. But then the last thing I'm told is, Joshua, you're not ready to see the blues go. Your vibrational frequency, you have a lot of stuff you have to work on. And that was probably true because at that point, you know, I had not seen the Mitchell Hedges go like I talked about. I wasn't in so much balance. I was a typical Aries. I was driving people crazy. You know, I, I, I had different situations going on where I wasn't in, in total balance. So I was okay. I wasn't going to see the skull in person, but I was happy that I had the visions of it and that I had been given this history. And then, of course, I went back two more times, which, again, I never saw the skull in uh, in person. But for me, the skull, and it's here right now, I can see it. It's in front of me on my left side at about a 45-degree angle. And um, I've actually had, had it where I, told, I tell people, the blue skull will move onto my right hand. If you want to feel its energy, just put your hand over my right hand after I feel it. And I actually feel a weight on my right hand. And I've had people go, I don't know what's on that hand, but that energy is unbelievable. So that skull is in that mountain waiting to be discovered, but you're not ready yet. Well, no, this is what I think is happening. I think it has been inside of the mountain with those people, but right now it's not in our physical reality. It's in a different dimension. I think that um, it has the ability because it has a consciousness. It's alive unto itself. Okay, It doesn't need any people to do whatever it wants to do. If it wanted to appear here, if it wanted to appear in the room where you are, it could just do it right right now, this minute, because it's a living being unto itself. But it's just, it's not time for people to be ready. So I actually took a chance because I wrote an entire book um, about my travels to Peru. I had a, like a computer with me so I could, because I couldn't remember every day you're in a high frequency and it would be impossible to remember everything that's going on around you. So <coughs> at the end of each day, I would type down what happened. So I took all my travel notes. I edited them. I put in some extra information about the blue skull that happened. And I wrote a book about a crystal skull that I have not seen in the physical. I just, it's around me. I know it exists. 
and I know that there's going to come a point in time where it will physically manifest with other ones, not, not just this one. It could be that it's one of the original ones. I don't know. The blue skull tells me when I come, I'm just the blue skull. Don't put any importance. Let just people come, have their experience with me, and that's it. Because one of the challenges that we have with the crystal skulls is everybody wants to have a very old or an ancient one. They think that the very old and ancient ones are the only ones that are important. And every crystal skull is important. And I think because, especially the quartz one, because these other intelligences can work through them, it doesn't matter if it's carved recently or a long time ago. I mean, naturally, the ones a long time ago have been around for a long time, and they have and collect all the energies and frequencies around them and all the ceremonies that have been done with them. So naturally, they're going to be a lot more powerful than new ones. But the crystal skulls themselves say, we're just happy to have our brothers and sisters when we get to be together. We don't talk to each other and say, oh, you're an old one, so you're more important. That doesn't exist for them. You know, they just like being, and each one has a unique frequency of energy. So, in other words, right. uh, like I saw this happen, some people may be drawn to see the Mitchell Hedges go. Some people may be drawn to see a me, which unfortunately a me is with a private owner who has not identified themselves. So, I have no idea where it is. But, you know, each person has different crystal skulls that they may relate to. Some people are not ready to, to be in the presence of these older ones with the high frequency also. Joshua? Uh, it's been a real pleasure. How can we, uh, well, direct us to a website. Okay, so the main website that we have is CSE, my Crystal Skull Explorer, CSE dot Crystal Skull Explorers, Explorers is plural, dot com, CSE dot Crystal Skull Explorers dot com, or our email is Crystal Skull Explorers at gmail dot com. A real pleasure. Thank you so much for hanging out. My pleasure. I always love talking about crystal skulls, and I do believe that they are going to make a difference in our future. Absolutely. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few details on an upcoming episode. Time once again to say hello to Colleen Forges, our nutritional therapist and the manager at the Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Hey, Colleen, how are you? Great, Richard. How are you? I'm terrific, thank you. Healthy and happy uh, so far, knock on wood. Now, of course, uh, this is cold and flu season. There's coronavirus out there. That's an entirely other kettle of fish. But let's talk about cold and flu. What do we have for people? Today I'm recommending a product called Ultravirex by Biotics Research. This product is designed to boost the immune function and it includes a proprietary blend of vitamins, minerals, and botanicals. So it includes things like vitamin A, vitamin C, zinc. It also uses sage, some different types of mushrooms, black walnut, and wheatgrass. Oh, terrific. And how do you take that? In a capsule? Yes, it's in a, t a capsule and you can take one capsule three times a day. Fantastic. Ultravirex. All right. Thanks, Colleen. We'll talk again soon. Take care, Richard. To get your Ultravirex, go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. 
These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, a functional medical consultant discusses censorship, big tech, big pharma, the heavy hand of the FDA, and our disappearing bees. These neonics are five to 10,000 times more dangerous than DDT. And it persists, and not only the honeybees, they are the most precious to us, so we selfishly talk about the bees because they pollinate one in every three bites of our food. But there are birds and butterflies and bats and other pollinators that are also suffering. The soil is suffering. Our brains are suffering. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.